in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Dustin Melbarnes, Lizzie Haynes, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Ramble, where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Brian Fry, and joining me tonight are my good friends and co-host, Dustin. How are you doing this evening? Good evening. Doing very well. How are you, Brian? Oh, I'm hanging in there just over a stomach bug. Uh, also, from sunny California, I've got my good friend and guest host here, Mark Adder. Mark, how are you doing this evening? Fantastic, man. Today's movies have characters uh, have you think happy thoughts to make you fly. What memory may, do you think uh, would make you fly, Dustin? I've got a sweet one here, and it's from being an adult. So I had a roommate a long time ago, an electrician, who was living in his car before I met him and let him stay in my spare room. And he made good money, but he had some child support to pay, and his car payments had to be up to date. Otherwise, they could remotely shut off his vehicle, and then he couldn't get to the job site. So he was late with rent all the time, but I'd let it slide because everybody needs like a helping hand. And he'd always get me back eventually, and he's just kind of a chill dude. And then uh, one day he decided to leave to go live with his uncle. And I saw him months later. Uh, he was way happier. He had lost a little bit of weight. Uh, he had a good union job, like real close to where his uncle lived. And he told me that every day that he left work, he would he listens to this song that I used to play like in the living room, just sort of like ambiance music whenever I just have some jams going. And he would be like, yeah, that song just mellows me out, man. And so like that's that's my happy thought is that like the time that he spent renting my spare room, like put him in a good place. And now like he plays this music to like put him in like a chilled space. So Gabriel, wherever you are. Hope you're still riding high, bro. Roger that. I have a feeling that yours and I are probably fairly similar, but uh, what's your happy thought, man? I grew up in Michigan, but um, my dad's side of the family is from West Virginia, similar to my boy, Fry. And uh, we used to drive down from Michigan like at least once a year to go... Uh, watch the West Virginia football team play, uh, the college team play football. And me, my dad, my brother would always go down. Mom would come every once in a while, but it was usually more of like a, a, a boy's trip. And we would always listen to like classic rock the whole yeah. way there. And like that whole little like trip to go see them, some of the best college football games I've ever seen. And for sure, definitely a happy thought with uh, spending time with the fam end of the Fiesta Bowl where we beat Oklahoma after Rod left. Ooh. I was, uh, I don't remember where the seats were. Yeah. To be honest with you, I was heavily intoxicated at the time, <laughs> but uh, when, we, when we won that game, I was, uh, I was pretty emotional. <laughs> when was that? Was that back in the Pat White days? Uh, that was Pat White, Steve Slayton, Owen Schmidt. 
Owen well, Schmidt, times. a monster of a man. Is he the one that th- like Owen hit Schmidt. his head with the helmet? With, yeah, we're all yeah, we're all yeah, doing yeah, the hand yeah. motion right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like the NFL or the Seahawks, or one of one of the two, had to make like a rule saying that like he couldn't come out like with his face all bleeding. So. <laughs> Those are some... He was born in the wrong century, man. He he belonged on a battlefield with a black somewhere, man. Right, that yeah, a Corsair hanging off the side of a Viking ship. Absolutely. <laughs> Calling to Odin. Well, today we're going to be doing 1991's movie Hook, starring Robin Williams, Dustin Hoffman, Julia Roberts, Bob Hoskins, Maggie Smith, and Charlie Corsomo. Its budget was around $70 million, grossed about a hundred and twenty point. Million. It placed sixth in the box office that year. It placed, uh, or ahead of it, placed City Slickers, and behind it was the Adams Family. You know, it's funny with this little tidbit here. I would not have put it and City Slickers in the same year. I don't know why. Right. For so, for whatever reason, I was thinking City Slickers was an '80s movie, but apparently, it stuck into the '90s. Yeah, that surprised me too. And I would have put Adams Family a couple years later. Yeah, yeah, I think I would I would follow you on too. Uh, the number one movie that year was Terminator 2 Judgment Day. I'm not going to gripe about that. Uh, IMDb gave this a 6.8. It's weird. I usually don't gripe about uh, 6 or anything in the 6 range. Um, I thought it was a little low. Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 27%. That's the number the I was looking was at, 76%. Brian. 76%. Yeah. So, I I know I know I just Rotten Tomatoes get stuff wrong all the time in terms of their critics meters. Like that's that's the one I kind of expect to be let down by. Usually IMDb has a fairly healthy uh, view of a movie. Yeah, I would agree with that, Fry, for sure. Like you know, IMD is more of like the stable number, and then Rotten Tomatoes like sometimes like they're like ninety nine percent, and you're like, eh, really especially <laughs> when, especially when you have a departure like where the critic say twenty seven percent, and the audience says seventy six. Like that's a that's exactly. a huge yeah, difference. Yeah. And you know, if you if you decimal it out like IMDb does, that's a seven point six percent. Which I'm a believer in. Like that's that's the ballpark I would put Hook in. So I, I think maybe that's I'm I'm leaning toward the the audience score was somehow translated to the IMDb rating you know, out of ten as as opposed to out of a hundred. I think seven seventy six is more reasonable. Uh, it won absolutely uh, no Academy Awards, but it was nominated for five. Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Visual Effects, Best Makeup, and Best Original Song for When You Alone. Uh, lost to Beauty and the Beast, which I don't think anybody is shocked by mm-hmm. that. Uh, one, uh, one Golden Globe nod for Best Actor in a Motion Picture Comedy, uh, Robin Williams. Um, Grammy... Uh, one Grammy nod for soundtrack and visual media and Saturn award for best fantasy film. Uh, one nod for American society of cinematographers and one Razzie Uh-oh. supporting actress, Julia Roberts. Yeah. You know, sometimes I don't read through some of our <laughs> statistics at a time, or if I do, I glance over things. Wow, just gonna take a dump on Julia like that. I mean, the haircut was bad, but dang, some, that's you know, it was a it was a early '90s kind of thing. I mean, you gotta let something like that slide. 
It was a little difficult, especially if especially if you have a ticking mustache in the movie. Well, right, it, a little right. difficult uh, when you understand thirty years later that there's a mm. lot of criticism that's existed about this movie for a while, and uh, like if you were to read that Julia Roberts is going to get a Razzie Award, and then you watch the movie thinking she might be doing a bad job, it could really sway you. Because like her mm. version of Tinkerbell had always been kind of like my version, like well, that's what I grew up with. But then I'm just thinking, like, mm. oh, is there really anything good there? Uh, so sometimes the things the critics say can sway you, and I, I found myself a little swayed on this most recent watch. So a, a weird tid that I I came uh, I basically snuck in right before we we decided on this movie that Avon got really really interested in Tinkerbell movies, and they've made a lot of animated Tinkerbell movies. So recently I got to learn the genesis of Captain James Hook and how uh, Zarina, the pirate fairy, is how uh, the grouping of Hook and Shmi and all of that came together to be in, in Neverland. So uh, an interesting watch. Um, I've seen it about 500 times now. But uh, yeah, I was like, I was about two thirds. Sure, of I'll get there in about another right. ten months or so. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But she's, I, I'd wake up in the morning and she'd toddle up and say, "Daddy, pirate fairy." Yeah, all right, pirate fairy. <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna make an assumption here, but if I'm wrong, please correct me uh, on your answer. Uh, Mark, have you seen this movie before? Uh, yes. What were your expectations coming back to it around again? Well, let me back up to when I first saw it. Go for uh, it. So, my parents are pretty religious. So, the movie selection when we were kids was very um, selective. We'll just put it that way. Uh, so, I actually got to see this from a babysitter that would babysit us like nice. once every month or two, right? And like, like a smart babysitter back in the 90s she would bring this movie over on vhs so that's how i got introduced to hook and then um watched it as a kid multiple times after that we talked our parents into buying it for us eventually and then you know watched it religiously and then also had a uh, a group of college friends that one halloween we uh we got back into it we all dressed like dressed up as the whole group like one of my buds or one of my buddies was Thud Butt. Like we had Tinkerbell. I was Peter Pan. One of my buddies dyed his hair Rufio style. Like yes. it was wild. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. So and then uh, recently it was kind of cool. Uh, my wife is uh, from France, and my in laws are here because of our uh, our newborn, or I guess not so more some not so much newborn, but our uh, infant. And uh, I watched it with them with English uh, subtitles, uh, but with French um, dub. Okay. And so to watch that as an adult was an interesting, like, departure, I guess we'll say. I, this might be a curveball for, for what we're talking about right now. Do you have the, what's the historical background for Peter Pan? It's it's English. It it is uh written okay. it's it's written in 1911, I think. It's okay. it's, it's right around that that area. And um okay. it, it the the story goes that Barry, J M Barry B A R R I E uh, is it, he like 
he had these next door friends and he based the look like the boys in the story on these like next door neighbors and they would tell these stories and it would just kind of he he, he really paid like true homage to these neighbors of his but like he continued to like rewrite it for the next 20 years he's he wrote P- peter and wendy then he wrote a couple like another, another book or so then the stage play uh, but yeah it, it is it's english no, I was just curious if if maybe there was a version of it overseas that was Americanized, something like that, and and what what the differences there was. But I, I assumed it happened somewhat organically, the way that like Winnie the Pooh happened. Uh, so tell me about your experience with Dustin. It's wild that Mark said what he said, because the, almost exactly the same thing happened. Without the babysitter, I was I was introduced to this via VHS tape by uh, by a friend. It became a favorite. It's a, it's you you wouldn't say it's it's absolutely geared towards kids, but if you think of it as a kids movie, what could be better? It's big. It's bright. The John Williams score is incredible. The things you see really really uh, kind of astound, and it always astounded me. Uh, Robin Williams has always been Peter Pan to me. Dustin Hoffman has always been Captain Hook to me. I've got a couple weird tidbits here. I'm named after him, and that's not a joke. My mom said, yeah, Dustin Hoffman, huge deal actor in 87. Yeah, we named you after him. And Justin became a more popular, you know, first name here in the States. But yeah, Dustin, I was named after Dustin Hoffman. Uh, On top of that, the thing that you said about college, Mark, uh, in the low brass section at the University of Tennessee, every every other day that we would have a rehearsal in the marching band, but before you'd hear any of the fight songs or any of the other practicing, you would hear some tuba or some parrot baritone doing the pirates theme, the ba ba bum ba ba bum 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 ba, and we would all put a little hook in the air and we'd march around like we're you know, give us the hook, and we did the same thing with Halloween. We all were pirates. I was Rufio. They're seeing me on video right now. I've got the the tall hair. I did the hair dye. I took these uh, dowel rods and made kind of his like neck armor. Uh, I I took clay and shaped bones and then cooked them in a kiln to make the his like bone armor. It was great. It the, the, this was something where it's like we're all eighteen to twenty three year old men who are in love with this fantasy movie. Uh, so it's wild the parallels there. I, I got to tell you that uh, upon my most recent rewatch, which is the first time I had seen it probably since then. Oh, wow. Um, I, when, you know, Rufio comes out of the trees on his little surfboard circuit thing, I'm, I just remember sitting there being like, you're so cool, Rufio. Look at how cool you are. Man. Like, and I, and I, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have those words back then for this, but I, I just remember watching it again. I'd be oh, like, yeah. <laughs> in, enter the cool guy who's, you know, a foot taller than everybody else, clearly the alpha male. And I'm just sitting there with the cool hair and he's got the cool outfit. And I was like, look how cool you are. He talks cool. He walks cool. Yeah. Everything about him. He wields the, the pan sword. Uh, the, he's got this gravitas. Uh, you don't know if he's part of the, like, as the stories go, like, there are the, they're the Lost Boys and the Indians. He's kind of both. He's got everything going for him. Yep. 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 Yeah, he's cool. 
And uh, it, it's funny, started thinking like who else is cool from that time frame. I was thinking like Three Ninjas, and I was thinking about every movie where I was like, "Look how cool you are, man! I want to be cool like mm-hmm. that." So, so anyway, that it's that was my biggest takeaway from my rewatch is like, "Look how cool Rufio is." He's still cool, man. Yeah, he's still cool. He's still cool. Uh, so yeah, I definitely, I've really enjoyed the rewatch of it. There's a bunch of stuff I'd forgotten about. You know, you, you made the gist of it with you. I still wanted to punch Jack in the face. I wanted to punch Jack in the face as a kid. I wanted to punch Jack in the face, Jack in the face as an adult. I would have left there with Captain Hook and been like, Hey, good right. luck kid. Take my daughter home. Deuces. <laughs> Spoken like a true um, girl dad, anyway. brother. Right back at you. <laughs> right. <laughs> But yeah, watch watch me end up having another kid that's a boy and be like, please ignore the hook podcast all day. Name him Corsmo. Just don't 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 you ever disrespect me in front of right. Captain Hook. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, without further ado, we're probably gonna spoil the crap out of this movie for you if you haven't uh, seen it before. Pause and have a, a gander before listening to the rest. Welcome to the All Eighties Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason, and this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening. All right, welcome back. Last chance to hit pause. Uh, We're about to spoil this movie for you, and for your plot is Dustin. Peter Pan is a runaway rescued by a pixie to have adventures in Neverland, along with other orphans, mermaids, Indians, and fairies, battling pirates and never growing up. At least he used to be, until one of his trips back to the real world became a permanent one, where he stayed, grew up, got married, had kids, and became a successful attorney. His family life is in decline, as he values his work far more than his family, and the kids and wife must deal with his separation. On a vacation back to London, his arch-rival Captain Hook finds him and kidnaps his children for the purpose of luring him back to Neverland for a vengeful final battle. With the aid of Tinkerbell the Pixie, Peter returns but is no longer equipped with the imagination, athleticism, or courage to deal with the pirate peril. But Tinkerbell strikes a deal with Hook to give her three days to return Peter to his fighting form with the aid of the Lost Boys and their de facto leader, Rufio. Through his interactions with his old acquaintances, or specifically not old acquaintances, he begins to remember how to be a hero, while Hook begins to brainwash Peter's son Jack that while his father is never there for him, he always will be, and that the true revenge on Peter Pan is to turn his kids against him. After reclaiming his powers, earning the respect of Rufio, and dealing with the capricious Tinkerbell, 
Peter returns to the Jolly Roger to do battle with the pirates. The kids realize that their dad is the really real Peter Pan and break the captain's manipulative charms. Though Hook reminds Peter that he will always be lurking, waiting to harass and steal away his family line for generations to come, leading to a final duel where Hook is eventually defeated by being eaten by the same crocodile that Peter had fed his hand to so long ago. The family returns to the real world intact, while Neverland continues on existing in the space between dreaming and waking, waiting for the time when, or if, Peter ever returns. Well, it's it's James Hook, and I don't know if my, my head's auto-adding a, a middle a middle of T, like James T. Kirk. Like James T. Kirk. And, and I really, I don't know, I think my, my brain was automatically adding the T, most of the stuff in here, if it has any relation to the original stories, is pretty accurate. Uh, like, like from, you know, at that point, 80 years before, which is why in the movie, it actually says like, like the, the time frame is 80 years, as in this story mm-hmm. is happening uh, in 1991, and the stories were written in 1911. So there's, oh, there's, uh, th- there's some real cool, small, accurate things. It would, it would be tiresome to go through all of them. But yeah, I think James Hook, it, th- when he leaves the letter with the dagger in the door, there's kind of a calligraphy to his writing. So it kind of looked mm-hmm. like there was a middle initial too, but I never saw one. Okay. I, like I said, I, it's just funny to me. And it's also funny that my brain did that in the first place. Like maybe there is something in one of these movies where they sit and, and there's some vindication there. So speaking of, uh, the great captain hook, a little trivia for you guys. When do you, or when do we first get introduced to him? I suppose when he's, when, when, when Smee gives the big, like, all right, boys, here's your leader, the steel handed stingray. I suppose. Are you, are you, Wait, is, no, 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 I know what I know what Mark's talking about. Isn't he like the 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 pilot on the plane landing in when when, uh, when they're England? when they're flying and uh, like they're flying in the the scene of uh, Jack with the drawing and the parachute, no parachute and everything. Yeah. Oh yeah. Dustin Hoffman is the voice of the pilot the... of that plane where there he's talking. And what's really cool about that. Is when I list or watch this with my wife and the French dub version, they did it for that too. So the French, yeah, yeah oh, okay. like the dub French dub guy does the pilot's voice. I don't, I don't remember where I read that, but I de- distinctly remember it was some. I knew it had something to do with them arriving arriving in England, and they had, they had tied it in some way to like the big hook claw on the wall on the way up the steps and everything like that. And I was like, ah. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. All right. Fry one, Dustin zero. Sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll we'll talk a minute about the casting of this movie, which I think by and large is pretty good. Um, we've got Dustin Hoffman as Captain Hook. Uh, Rob Williams is Peter Banning or Peter Pan. Julia Roberts is Tinkerbell. Bob Hoskins is Smee. Me, always amazing Smith is Granny Wendy. Uh, Carolyn Goodall as Moira. Um, Charlie Corsmo as Jack. Amber Scott is Maggie. I'll probably start to kind of dot 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 off there. We'll say Donnie Bosco as Rufio because we're all on the Rufio bandwagon yeah. here. Oh, yeah. Um, so 
you know, there's a, there's a deep cat here because they really do a good job at at least touching on and having some, some uh, lines for a lot of different Lost Boys here to the point where at least most of them have a name and if they don't, at least in it enough to get a, a reasonably title. How do we feel about the cast of this film? It is large. And every little part, I mean, we learn that some of these kids have names, and I remember them. Uh, one of them's name is like "Don't Ask." Uh, you know, we all remember uh, Thugbutt. Thugbutt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the one of the kids' names is like uh, too small, and then we've got you know Toodles and and John from the past. We've got all that stuff, but uh, it, more so than their names, they all have some some great like little personality things and also just terrific costumes to set them apart and some of them are like leaders in some ways some of them are just kind of stand out and like the things they like to do on top of that you have more unnamed lost boys who are like all right what do these lost boys do oh these are the skaters right like, we right. have to have two lost boys on skateboards it, it doesn't really serve any purpose uh, in that little montage but they're there so uh, we we've got wonderful little unique lost boys and then on top of that we've got i think as 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 many as 300 pirate extras uh and all of them are it, just yeah. a, a rowdy rabble of of people filling the space and making it feel like wow this is a big force uh but that's enough about the extras um, all of our all of our top bill uh get plenty of time to shine it's a two hour and 24 minute movie so there's a lot of time and making it work as, I guess you could call it kind of a frame tale, is that there's the there's the real world and then there's Neverland. But um, everybody gets some screen time, and when you know stuff is devoted to them, you're getting to see something that makes them unique. When people have the moment to shine, they do, which is why I think Smee was a character that stood out to me as a child. You know, Bob Hoskins. Absolutely, Smee's like physical comedic presence to me especially on the the rewatch was really impressive i was like okay like shmee, shmee. Shmee, shmee. like the way he was like running around and yeah i was impressed i i think he really was an embodiment of a disney animation yep yep like i could literally see that like if you did like a slow transition from uh live action to Disney animation like that would be the most seamless of all the characters in this movie. One of the things that's super interesting about the, uh, the names after going through them of the lost boys is given the level at which they talk trash to one another. I feel like all of these names just came out of them talking trash to one another. That makes sense. Yeah. Like, I can see that. Just, you hear like Rufio and Peter going back and forth, you know, talking smack to one another, and it's like, yeah, all right, Toodles, you know, all right, Pockets, all right, Ace, all right, Thud, mm -hmm. but you know, it just it sounds like it could organically just come out of their their pre. I haven't learned cuss words yet. Crash talk brains. <laughs> Robin Williams, especially for our childhood, or at least my childhood, was definitely like very influential with that mrs doubtfire flubber like you know he uh grow grew up with him right um i do want to talk about how like when i was growing up like the old aunt wendy looked 
like she was like a thousand years old, right? <laughs> and then the same actress plays Professor McGonagall, and it's like, yeah. wait, what? Like, how's that work? Like, I thought that lady you was know, dead already. <laughs> you, you, you know what's kind of funny about that is that. 91 and then what 2001 like when i don't remember when the harry potter movies start coming out but that's probably only 10 years yeah but yeah. that's 10 years it's only yeah. 10 years can we also and, though and they, they, oh, they really age her up a bit too with makeup too. Oh, but, yeah. i mean but oh, but yeah. yeah yeah like you <laughs> i actually know exactly what you mean like how is this person still alive yeah I, I think I probably credited. I I think there are certain actors, actresses that that happens with. Like I certainly credited uh, Sean Connery with being way older than he was when I was a young person, mm -hmm. uh, because there's really only types of Sean Connery. There's Bond Sean Connery, and then there's Sean Connery the rest of his career. Right. And uh, and yeah, I mean, the I remember at one point, and this is probably in the latter 2010, maybe close to 2010, and I was just like. Dude, how old is he now? Like he's gotta be like a hundred. And so, um, but yeah, I Maggie Smith is is absolutely timeless. Um, you know, she's she's I, I hope she continues to go as strong as she has because every I forget about movies like this sometimes where I'm like, Oh yeah, Maggie Smith was in this too. So yeah, yeah long live yeah. McGonagall, guys. Exactly. Bringing up the cast and, and getting us to Maggie Smith in this way really made me think that like there's a there's a, something subtle in this movie and i think this is the first time i've ever watched it with this type of sort of laser focus the story goes and we have to take all this with a grain of salt because this is an impossible type of story for this you know for unaging kids to come visit the real world so like we have to understand we have to buy into the magic a bit but the, but what we understand is that like oh the first wendy when Peter was a boy, they were like both kids. And there's, I think it's made pretty clear in the stories, like they're not like little young lovers, but they're little kids. There's something about like the young Wendy being like, you're my Peter. And this is, this is straight from the 1911 that when like Wendy grows up, she says, I thought you would have stopped my wedding. You were supposed to be there. I wore a blue sash. Like I expected Peter Pan who never grows up to like stop me from growing up and it didn't happen. And there's like a forlornness and I'm sorry, we're only 30 minutes in the episode. I'm bringing up something that's weird, but there's a moment in this movie where Maggie Smith is like portraying like, Hey, I was in love with you. Oh yeah my little grandchild now who's now grown up did you guys catch that weirdness oh yeah I, actually 100%. one of the things i wanted to one of the things i wanted to bring up was it was almost a captain america syndrome it's like dude i was so your great aunt peggy we should do <laughs> <laughs> although yeah. okay as a young kid the young flashback of um i guess moira or no, not not Moira. Wendy is freaking mm. Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, I was like out of nowhere. I was like, okay, as an adult, I was like, holy crap, that's her. Yeah, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have known that back then. Of course, oh, back yeah. gosh, what I don't know what cinematography was around 1991, but it could have been not super Pepper Potts. <laughs> no, not that. Yeah. That's where she was slaying right. dudes on ski hills. And then also, my mother-in-law brought this up, so, you know, point to her. 
the freaking inspector when with the knife that's phil collins right <laughs> like what yeah <laughs> like that definitely didn't register as a kid well, yeah. <laughs> well and, and if there was someone who because we know that in, when the movie closes bob hoskins is playing like the street yeah the sweet dude. yeah i got that as a kid right i got that one i missed the dustin hoffman voice but if there was any other character that could bounce from real world to neverland to to have uh <laughs> to to have him somehow be like a pirate or some important character in Neverland. I could have seen that happening easily. I'll keep this very brief. Uh, he actually was uh, concerned that his name was even mentioned in the marketing of the movie at all because it, uh, Phil was like, I don't want people to think I have a big part in this. Or I don't want them to think this was his, this was, he's an, in an interview said, I don't want them to think that I was so bad at acting that they cut all of my scenes out. So, uh, so interesting tidbit on Gwyneth Paltrow in this movie. Uh, she had two accolades prior to this. Nothing that I've ever seen before. She doesn't actually have a part that I'd recognize after this until 1995-7. And she does not come mm. to prominence until 1998's Shakespeare in Love. Wow. So yeah, this, so this was, was like a this total was, side. This was thing. you. You are a, a you know, basically you're a you know. We would we we require an adolescent blonde woman, please. One yeah. one okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Cool. Bring it. Pepper. So this way. Yeah, pepper. Pepper pots. <laughs> pepper. So yeah, um definitely an early one. And and this this was the uh the watch through that I recognized that but I was just like, hold on. <laughs> yeah. Cause I think it's just the one right where she's like <gasps> Pizza. Yeah. That's all we're hearing from you. Oh, so, well, yeah, she definitely, I mean, she definitely blew up. She had good things ahead of her uh, post this. Um, so in terms of uh, getting down to the nitty gritty about the making of this film, uh, I know we're all pretty familiar with Steven Spielberg. He didn't have the best things to say about the final result of this film. Um, he basically said that there are parts of Hook that he loves. Uh, he was happy he worked on it and headed to Neverland and, and whatnot. But what, what do you think um, are the deficiencies? If you had to pick out some, like, where could this have been better, Dustin? It's odd because I don't think I would normally have things to say for a question like this. And Russell knows. Sometimes I push him back, being like, don't make me try to dissect a director's work. But, but learning from Spielberg after the fact and picking up what some of the critics had said, uh, there are some things that I think stood out to me as, as a, a bit strange. Th there's, I had mentioned that when the cast gets a chance to shine like when they've got a little vignette they do that it's great that they do but there's also no real aside from peter pan's growth there's kind of not much other growth in the main characters we get toodles who finds his marbles but it's like a gag it's like a throwaway joke mm. um from what i learned there was a, a, an entire there, there's apparently a whole nother movie's worth of scenes on the cutting room floor and uh, two-thirds of them have never seen the light of day. Uh, from what I understand, there was a, an entire subplot about young Maggie, uh, you know, 
Peter Pan's or Peter Banning's kid, so Maggie Banning, uh, who, when she's with the pirates on the ship, kind of becoming uh, like a mini Wendy and like going through some of the things that Wendy did and kind of befriending and also like strangely enough, like mentoring some of the like the pirates around. Like she's that good force out there. Um, I like Jack's uh, like story, uh, like the the idea that he is absolutely like disenfranchised with his dad, you know, doesn't really understands that he doesn't like he believes his dad doesn't care about him. Um, but I feel like there there could have been some for a kids movie. And I keep calling it that, but like for for a movie directed for children, like there could be some really child driven type of things. And I don't really see them here. Uh, the last thing I'll say, because most of what I'm talking about here is stuff that other smarter film people have said, and I just agree with, but uh, th they did toy around with this being a musical. And we are about to hit the 90s where the, the musical Disney animated films are just gangbusters. Right. And... They they thought this could have done really well, and I bet it could have. Only two of the songs that John Williams had lyrics to made it into the movie, and one of them was nominated for a Grammy. So, uh, like that's that's where like I would have never said growing up that there were things about this movie I didn't like or that I felt were lacking. But if you if you crank the dial a little more, you, you can kind of see some things. And Spielberg may be the director we've covered the most on this show. Brian, do you know if it is? Because I mean, it's got to like, be what, one, close. two, three, four, five, six. Is this the sixth Spielberg movie we've done? Jaws, Raiders, E.T. I would also say that that part of that is probably going to be indicative of the decades in which we came of age in film. I know we harp on the nights a whole bunch because of of yeah, our, our age demog well the 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 casting demographic and that sort of thing so i think we do fall a lot into spielberg's heyday so he he benefits greatly from that i i, I know it sounds it sounds unfair to like compare it to terminator 2 which came out the same year but like if you i i think this is maybe the first time i've ever seen hook on a flat screen tv mm. that's it's odd to say right like because we we had crts and stuff so you know, when you see the, like, physical, practical effect of, like, a Tinkerbell flying around, and then they kind of, they use a special effect to put that little body in the light, like, it, it doesn't look great. And I would have never said anything about that. Or, or I, I don't even think it's something I think negatively about the film, but, like, I noticed it. Uh, I will say, like, the, the, the critics and some of the things written about this in the last 30 years really kind of turned my eye towards some of the um, small things about this movie that... Um, Steven and the uh, you know the critics kind of didn't enjoy. Gotcha. It's an interesting point. I haven't, I hadn't actually thought of that. Um, Mark, anything you want to add about Spielberg and the directing of this movie? Yeah, I mean, as a kid, I, I always thought the beginning was a little slow. Sure. Um, you know, you you as a kid, you want to get to Neverland. As an adult, um, you still get I to Neverland. Kind of. Well, yeah, you definitely want to still get to know the land. But, uh, but it was like he was talking about, you know, the character development of, of Peter and kind of understanding the intertwining of, is this Peter Pan? Like, what, what's going on? Like, you know, there was this really good um, just direction, if you will, and, and detail. Um, and then, and especially watching it on the last watch, 
Like when you do get to Neverland, you go from, you know, high detail, I mean, scenes that are, you know, looking at walls and, you know, going up the stairs, you know, very detailed to when, when you in, when they're in Neverland, like, yes, there's still beautiful scenery and, and great, great visuals, but the plot and like the, it kind of moves quick from meeting Lost Boys to fighting Lost Boys to becoming Peter Pan and um, flying is like 20 minutes. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's montage. montage. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah we yeah. need a montage. I, I, I will say this. And I feel like, and I feel like if, 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 I'm, if I'm trying to be like a fly on the brilliant mind of, you know, Spielberg, like, you know, you look at now some of his more recent films, like, you know, the special effects are amazing, right? And the fight scenes are just, like, gnarly and, and really, like, visual and beautiful, right? And, I mean, you can't tell me that he wouldn't love to go back and have a Peter Pan flying around, you know what I mean? Like, and, and the, the epic fight scenes. And, and, you know, at the end, like, with the armor... And some of the things like that, all of that was great and the visuals were great. But then like, you know, hitting people with paint like now, come on, you're like, that would be a different effect and it would look better than just like a paint, like little arrow, you the know paint, what I mean? Yeah, the paint squirters and the, and the chicken and, and, and the chicken. And the, yeah. Yeah. It was just like, little, like, it was like marble blaster. Cause, cause it, it, it went from alone. like, it was, it was like, it, yeah, well it went from like, it went from like, kid pre-teen movie to like kid kid movie real quick in that moment yes i'm sure there was probably something in play where you can't have adolescent children like pg pg yeah 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 yeah, if you had them all wielding swords like it's all right for rufio because it's rufio but but everybody else really needed to be like uh you get a marble gun you get a slingshot you know what i mean like Uh everybody gets dennis the menace or lower and (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. No, I get that. I get that completely. Don't ask the kid that wears kind of the suit and combs his hair. Uh, he, <laughs> the, he has the a sword. clearly Italian uh, kid. The one, yeah. The, the little Italian? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you the, know that the, guy's... The and the blonde-haired kid with the top hat, too. He also had a sword. Yep. Um, I actually... I counted the kills it was, it in this It was most like a roller coaster. Watch. You must be this high <laughs> yeah, to get a sword. Exactly. <laughs> right. We've only got so many. Well, well, we defeated the whole pirate army with only six swords. <laughs> right. Um, I, 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 this is coming out of nowhere, but I, actually, I counted the kills. I don't do this for movies. But I, it did... Mark, you hit it on the head. It went from kind of a, a family movie, like, oh, there's something for everybody. To like, oh, we were really focused on just, like, how do we make this battle a, ba- a battle for kids? Yep. Um, yep. But as far as who gets stabbed or slashed, Peter Pan, Robin Williams kills two guys. Rufio has maybe two kills. Uh, we see a kill, and then we see him stab past the camera. It sounds like mm. a kill. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. Hook famously yeah. has one. Right. Where yeah. he kills a teenager, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so we we I guess we have to understand like okay, there's not going to be a lot of blood and death here, uh, and they surrender them. They defeat them with mirrors. Yeah. Right. It's too bright. Yeah, yeah. And and it is fun. 
I, I, I think for for a moment there we were, we were describing things that like you know maybe didn't work, and I still kind of believe that. But it is fun still to rewatch, and if I rewatch it, I'm not skipping the battle scene. It's fun, you know it, the the thud butt rolling down the gangplank, and yeah. you know I don't count the people jumping in the water as kills. Otherwise, right. that um, was murdering. <laughs> Otherwise, he's got Murks. the highest kill count. <laughs> Just murking kids. He did make one dude unable to procreate uh, when he stomps 100. the, uh, Wham. the plank. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there, but you know, I also think you're right. Is that um, if 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 he could go back, and th- there's a lot of other things that I think the description of the failures of this movie have to do with what its potential could have been. As opposed to what we have. Let's face it, it made $50 million on top of its budget. Yep. Yep. That, that's one thing. Uh, a second thing is that uh, he, he was kind of given an unlimited budget per the story. Like, he had asked for some, he got more. Uh, and so his idea, when he reflects back on it, you know, Spielberg's like, yeah, uh, you know, we set up this awesome green screen for Robin to be beneath, and we set up a fantastic flying rig to be over the screen, and there's all these things that are done well. But for some reason, even he believes, like, I didn't accomplish what I wanted to, and I don't know if the three of us can solve what it is to to have made it be more successful. It might have been more time. It might have been what we do now. And what do we do now? We don't produce movies. We produce trilogies. Right. I was going to say. To have a full, big Peter say, Pan. Yep, yep, yep. Well, I, like I, to, I think to, to, instead of the montage, you could literally have, like, a film Peter of him Pan 1. Re- repanning. Of just him, like, getting to Never- Neverland and learning how to fly. And then that's it. Yeah. And then the next one is, you know, like, then the next one could be, like, Learning more about um, Maggie's story, maybe more Jack and Captain Hook, but like develop that more. And, and yeah. oh, yeah, that could be gnarly. <laughs> maybe get the Tiger Lily incident. There's another yes. important Indian in Neverland yep. in Tiger Lily. Yep. Uh, maybe we get that. Maybe we get the mermaid stuff. Uh, the, I mean, think of all the time. Uh, the mermaids are on screen for 45 seconds. Yeah. But yeah. that world they created, the they could have had Avatar seconds, twenty years earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! Somebody Take had to that, say James it. Cameron. Explorer <laughs> <laughs> of the sea. Oh man! Uh, so one of the things I did want to talk about is we brought up the battle scene. I think there is some really good cinematography to this movie. A PG'd up. But I do think that they did a good job adding the elements to which we were used to things being young and cool during that time. Like there were there were bits and pieces to the Lost Boys kind of uh, treetop paradise that were reminiscent of uh, uh, the original live action Ninja Turtles, where you know you had a skateboard park and these kids are just mm-hmm. being cool. So, uh, and, yeah, I keep reverting to that, and, and you know, you have the the grown ups here, are the pirates, and they're all about being drunk. So, like, there's the the liveliness, and then there's the sullenness, and and whatnot, and even when you talk about you know the setups for the baseball game and that sort of thing, aspects here where it was cool, and the the cinematography worked really well. There's 30 different things that could draw your attention throughout this movie. Um, and it's almost like uh, because there's so many, none of them get enough time. Uh, the gliders, the, the, that 
parasailer on rails is great. Uh, we do have to give some credit to the sets for being incredible too. You've got you've got the big the the big baseball scene with all the extras. Um, you've got the the ships. There's several ships there. Uh, this was the same set that they did the Wizard of Oz on. Uh, I think it's the biggest ever at the time. Um, then you've got like the decision to do like all right, we're gonna have Hook's captain quarters. And we're going to have a special scene between Hook and Smee where, hey, kids film, this dude's committing suicide here. And, and, and Captain Hook is neurotic. I, I know you had asked a question about cinematography, but it's going to be hard for me not to talk about the choices made to show his insecurity and to show his desire. Uh, some of it is based on the shots, uh, the zooming in on him when he's got the gun to his head. Do not try to stop me, Smee. Smee, do not try to stop me. Try to stop me. It's like this: the zoom in, <laughs> and and then you have uh, the the close up shot on his ticking uh, mustache. Uh, you have uh, when Maggie's singing her song, and you have like the good night Neverland. All of these beautiful wide open shots, uh, uh, you know, coupled with. The intricacies of being inside Tinkerbell's little clock house. Um, the scale changes so many times. And like I said, I'm out of my element here talking about the cinematography stuff. But th there's so many things that really draw you. Uh, even the stuffiness of that London house where, uh, where Peter and Moira grew up together and got married. Uh, you know, the classic orphan story. Um, so, so like there, there's, there's a whole lot of great stuff. Um, I think the other uh, really powerful scene that the cinematography helped with was uh, when Peter Banning is giving his speech to the donors of the wing. That doesn't matter to kids as much, but man, as an adult, you're like, what? look how much this one woman means to this whole room of people. Um, and there's a lot of money involved, uh, but you're, you're also seeing... Uh, uh, that's when the abduction happens and they cut back and forth between what's happening in the room. And some of the things... Uh-huh. And, and, like, it's, it's, it's scary, and then there's, there's the version... I mean, it's scary for children. And the, 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 the covers fly straight up off of the children. Okay, yeah, maybe that could be done better, but we're just trying to move this along. Uh, but so... Yeah, uh, the, we're, we're, there's so many parts. There's, there's the baseball game. There's, the, there's like 20 different shots from the children's play of Peter Pan that they're attending. So there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. And you are, you are given such access to where you are in between these things that um, that, I think, is unassailable. And I don't think you were trying to. It's like almost unassailable. All the variety of what you see. Uh, which is great for kids, and I think something I recognize this time. Um, so yeah, I, I would put it as a as a positive of everything that we get. We get a lot in our bowl. I agree, um, and I think that there are some interesting shots, especially um, zoom outs, specifically uh, where you're given kind of outward view of what's inwardly going on. That I really enjoyed in this. But yeah, by and large, um, I think it's pretty indicative of, of the director, whether he was 100% on board with it or not, 
uh, in its final piece. I'll tell you this, um, it, this would be my change one thing or anything toward the end of this, but, you know, if they did come out with a giant, you know, final cut of this and it was, you know, three hours and ten minutes long or something, I'd like to see what other what other uses in there just, just for the sake of seeing it. Um, so as far as this director goes, this this is pretty much one of the Mount Rushmore heavyweights of uh, of directing. Uh, Steven Spielberg's written and directed some of the the best movies I've ever seen. So um, would you could say that maybe some of his trepidation on this film specifically is due to the fact that he he knows what he's capable of. I think that's fair. I think that's fair to say, like, I have really reached the stars, and this one just didn't for me. Um, I mean, it wasn't any Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. It wasn't that bad. I I will say, um, (laughs) maybe this movie to Spielberg heads doesn't get up there like some of the others. Uh, For enjoyability and rewatchability, I would go back to this one quite a bit. And I think there's something I, I keep unintentionally diverting away from your question. <laughs> I, That's okay. I think that this is a dark horse, one of John Williams' best scores. Yeah. No, now, this is three sure. years before Jurassic Park, but this is a John Williams coup. I, I'm going to harp back on the, the special effects thing, you know, kind of like a. George, I mean, George Lucas and Spielberg, they're the same camp, right? And, you know, one of Lucas's biggest frustration with Star Wars was, you know, the, the special effects. And I think with this big, awesome, amazing movie, with this big cast, this amazing score, if they had special effects 10 years better or 20 years better, I think Spielberg would not be saying the same thing. Because it's not like the writing is bad, right? The the plot's not bad. The mm-hmm. acting's not bad. Like, yeah, there's a haircut that's not the greatest. But other than that, <laughs> can you really like? Can you really complain about much? Just one, you know? No, I agree. I I think that takes a movie like this to be able to overlook some of its inadequacies because it is so flamboyant. Because it's it's so. You know, it's written for the kids, but also the, so that adults can enjoy. I think that it, it lends itself from an age range perspective to kind of take itself out of the mainstream to where it gets, it invites less criticism because of what it is, if that makes sense. Um, that they allow uh, more leeway toward, well, that didn't really make sense. Yeah, but it's a kid's movie or, right. yeah, it, you know, it's. It's fantasy. You know what I mean? Fair enough. Some stories are really important to people. I don't know if Peter Pan is sacrosanct. Like, I don't know if it's something like, you better not touch it unless you do it right. And they told sure. this story really well. And then they kind of made it meta with the idea, like, uh, apparently the story is his own son, Steven Spielberg's son, at dinner, uh, asked, does Peter Pan grow up? Steven said, no. So, well, what if he did, Dad? And that's where this rewrite of the original Peter Pan he was going to do turned into this. To me, it's because it, it, I grew up thinking it's a masterpiece. It'll always have a special place in my heart. 
and to do what was attempted to be done. And it isn't an original story. You're basing it on an 80 year old book and play and like that has classic theater stuff that, you know, you didn't first see someone fly on screen. You saw Peter Pan fly in the theater on strings played by classically a woman for some reason. There's all this history to it. So there's a bit of weight to like the source material. Um, like you could say a bunch of stuff are risks. Having Tinkerbell speak is a risk. Having a new character named Rufio get introduced and killed is kind of a risk. Uh, so like uh, there should be kudos for the risk. But so cool. He's yeah. So he, he, cool. Hey, <laughs> Lost boys never die. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, Do you have any special effects? <laughs> uh, I, I feel like this is. Oh, There's a hidden, a hidden special effect that, like, probably could have been done better. Smee's final pitch that Jack hits the home run on. Did you guys notice that it is literally smoking? It's on fire. He throws it so fast. Before he hits the home run. Well, well he, he, he's doing all the funny wind-up stuff. He's absolutely incredible with the physical humor. I think Mark mentioned that earlier. Um but yeah, where he he does the one thing where he's winding up and he walks literally like to where he's five feet away from the plate and just tosses it. And then, yeah, does but the little. Yeah. Th- th- there's all these great little details that almost like don't matter. Uh, what is what does Peter say? Uh, you see, the camera shows you, which means it's a choice from Spielberg. Mm. The camera shows you that Smee changes his grip, a little two seamer or something, and Peter, mm. who's not stealing the hook like he's supposed to, goes, oh, he can't hit the curve. Well, here's a little plot hole. How the hell would he know? He never sees his son's games. And on top of that, he doesn't throw a curveball. He throws a fastball. I don't care about those inaccuracies. Not really. But it's, I, I, I'll, I'll say it now. I'll give you a little, a little show spoiler. This movie didn't perform as high as I thought it was, considering that this is a favorite movie of mine. When I get to our ratings, I was surprised where it landed because there are things that like once you kind of see them, I'll never not enjoy this movie. But like once you kind of see them, it's hard not to see them anymore. So just just to play devil's advocate here for a second, wouldn't his miscategorizing what pitch was coming be indicative of him never seeing the game and maybe <laughs> just regurgitating something his wife had told once? That's you know what? You know what? That that will solve it. Right. Um, or maybe he actually did watch the videotapes of that little lackey that he sent to mm. like, hey, you know, hey, Mrs. Banning, I'm here to catch the game. We, we, I think the movie does a good enough job of explaining to you that he's not, for, he's not there for his family. And when his family is annoying him, he lashes out. And kudos to our actress who plays uh, Moira for giving that little heartfelt speech about like, you're missing your children's lives. There's only so many years that they want you around and you're missing them. Like there's a, there's some stuff that like, if this were a longer movie, if it were more movies or if the scope of it was smaller, some of these performances could have been, I think worthy of what Spielberg maybe wanted. Instead, there was maybe just too much in, in that package. Sure. Caroline Goodall. Moria. I think it's one of those, uh, this is one of those movies that if it had had a uh, Gen Z cast, would have all gotten out, gone out and gotten Lost Boy tattoos after filming. Certainly. Like the, the werewolf tattoos from, uh, what was it? 
Twilight. They all werewolf tattoos or whatever. If you remember that really that. happened? I think so. Wow. And I know I know at least a couple of the of Game of Thrones got like dire wolves too, like the Stark family. I saw that. So yeah. I think if, if this was a different generation, you'd see this squad of kids rolling around, or adults now running around with uh, Lost Boy tattoos. Right. Do we remember in 2002 and then sometime in the 2010s, we had another Peter Pan movie, and then we had like a live action Peter Pan TV spectacular with Christopher Walken as James Hook? I don't know about the second one, but I remember when they tried to make yeah. the... This partial CGI, partially real Peter Pan. And I remember being like, I am not going to watch that, like, actively. It's like when they did the, the CGI live-action Ninja Turtle movie. I was just like, Ugh. no, yeah. nope, not. Apparently not they're good. I, I, I've, hey, Brian, I've watched snippets of them. They seem pretty fun, but I, it's, uh, not, it's not my bag either. Lo- well, long, the, what I'm getting long, at is live that, the '90s live-action turtle movies. Even the third one, I don't I, I care should, what you say. I should pull out a dealer's choice to do Secret of the Use. Yeah, that's fine. Um, go ninja, go ninja. All I was go. gonna say about that, <laughs> uh, yeah, Vanilla Ice cameo. All I was gonna say was the other Peter Pan stuff that's come out since then hasn't been great. Mm-mm. And I don't know. I don't know. I'm not like a lover of the theater shows of Peter Pan. If there's yeah. a Peter Pan story that's good. This is better than the Disney cartoon. This is the best version we got. And the scale is so wide and so vibrant that it's hard to look away. And there's a reason why, Mark, you and your friends dressed up as these guys in college. And the same reason that me and my friends did in college. And why I would be excited. And Russell and Chad and Lizzie are other hosts who have children. I bet they would like the opportunity to share Hook with their kids. I think maybe that's where the value of this movie is. It's not about that it didn't make enough money that it should have. It wasn't the shooting star it's supposed to be, but it does exist and it's special in the people that like grew up with it and it's like to share it with. So that that's that's something I think I'll remember for this movie. And it does what it needs to do. Like Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's any real to like really crush on any singular part of it outside of the fact that it did exactly what it needed to do for our generation and for later generations. I think that this is a fairly timeless story. Uh, one thing I will say on, on the Peter Pan piece is, you know, I think traditionally when people think about Peter Pan, we can eight to an 11 year old. I think that yeah. Peter Pan gives enough ambiguity on age that you could make a Peter Pan that's 8 to 11 and call it a PG movie and market it to kids. I think you could just as easily make Peter Pan a 14 to 18 year old uh, more of the Rufio crowd and you can make EG-13 and make it rock for everybody. <laughs> so I, I, I do think that this tried to straddle those two like a matter card and I think that lost a little bit for it. Like you said with the pirate fight sequence at the end you've got this legitimate you know rider die thing happening on the bridge of the ship where people are dying and then you gumball machines going off and tripping people at the... so, so I, 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 do th- I do think they tried to straddle two different hemispheres of where you go with peter pan and and that is a doctor to a certain extent like when yeah. when, when when analyzing it yeah that's right that's fair fair that 
the fact that they had it during Christmas, um, you know, as a transplant being in LA, seeing a baseball game and it's being like the Santa Claus baseball the, the game. The Santa series. Yeah, yeah, the Santa series. Like for some reason, like as a kid, like that never never registered to me. Mm-hmm. But as an adult, like that definitely registers. Right. Like, um, and then and then just the the contrast between when they do get to England and it's cold and it's dark and it's just you know, this like kind of you know yeah, like downer vibe and then you get to Neverland and it's just beautiful and bright Exotic. And vibrant and mermaids and exotic yeah yeah like um you know as a kid that was just awesome to see um it was different you know takes you to a different place for sure well i don't want to put words in steve spielberg's mouth but i do feel like this might be a um an accurate portrayal of what he was feeling in some of these uh uh comments he's made so when we talk about the wardrobe the makeup and the costumes for this um, do, do you think that they did a good job dressing turd up? It's probably one of the things that stands out the most. If you had to go across the grades, the, the, if you had to grade categories of things, pacing might not get an A, mm. but I think costumes does. Uh, you mentioned the thing that like Smee kind of feels like he's right out of the cartoon. So does Captain James <laughs> Hook. Dustin Hoffman isn't a tall man, but the way that they have his uh, like coat be long and, and the he's kind of wearing like the black tights and buckled shoes underneath like that that kind of becomes a um like like almost exactly how he's mm-hmm. drawn um we have uh Tinkerbell wears two different things i think it was fun for them to be like what if tinkerbell was a beautiful actress <laughs> cuz they're supposed to be best friends i don't <laughs> I'm like, like I said, I, don't, I think in the Disney movie, I don't think she even speaks. I know in the stuff that like you show your kids now, obviously they've got voices, they've got to have adventures, and your character's got to talk. Not, it's not 100% all the time, but like I think Tinkerbell talks now. But um, like having her have like complex emotions, like show that was a, a bit, you know, maybe out of left field. Um, but yeah, all, all, all of the wardrobe choices for the Lost Boys were absolute knocks out of the park. Um, and then Rufio's the king. I was going to say, so like, Rufio, come on. But also looking back, like uh, Peter Pan himself, like the costume, right? Like it's not by any means like, oh my gosh, like this guy is the coolest guy ever. But for literally tights and a leather belt and some like green cloth with scissors cut up, like, it actually doesn't look bad. And, you know, I mean, yeah. you, you think of the old school Peter Pan in the drawings and like, you know, Peter Pan's not the coolest looking hero, mm. right? Like, You're right. In fact, it looks probably, uh, I'd say original Peter Pan tune probably looks a fair bit more like Tinkerbell's animated now. Like he's very, yeah. elf, he's very yeah. elfin. Well, and I mean, think about like, he was like Peter Pan was even played by a woman mm. in the play, yeah. like in plays, you know, like very feminine, very just like, yeah. And, and Robin Williams isn't this like Arnold Schwarzenegger guy either, you know, like pretty average looking body. So, yeah. 
And and yeah, he's he's kind of like Link. Oh yeah, 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 Link. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yep. yep. Yeah, and and then on top of that, like the, the, their version of it, like I think it looked pretty good. There was a kind of greenish, brownish. Um, you know, that's actually I I started at the top of the show with. There's a lot of things that are accurate. Having it be less tailored, less like a little elf's clothes, like Keebler yeah. Elf. Keebler Elf, the hero, is Peter. Pan. It's actually closer to kind of like, yeah, he wears leaves and branches. Like he's a wild child. I kind of felt that way. You yeah. can't make Robin Williams that feral. <laughs> Until Jumanji. And they, 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 well, there we go. And they do, they do put some makeup on him to have him look more youthful. I didn't think that was an issue. I think they did a really good job of contrasting between like, all right, he's, uh, they actually, I, I, don't, I don't have the details on it, but I, I bet they added some weight to his real yeah, world clothes. Yeah, I agree. Because he, he wasn't, they keep saying like, oh, overweight, you're, you're, you are fat and overweight. Not really. Uh, normal size dude. No. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I think they kind of like uh, balloon him up in his clothes in the real world and just kind of slim him down. Just, just due to my, my. A plus uh, for weird. Just due to my current uh, knowledge of uh, Neverland and the fairies. When a fairy talks to another fairy, you understand what they're saying. When a fairy talks to a human, all you hear is the tinkling of a bell. So if huh. Tinkerbell were talking to Peter, all you would hear is a tinkle. Um, so yeah, I, th I think we can all say that wardrobe costumes makeup is an A+. We've already gushed a little bit about John Williams and the soundtrack, a very underrated score by him. So uh, how do you guys feel about handing out some superlatives? Bangarang. MVP, who do you think is the most valuable person in this movie, Dustin? Well, I know Steven Spielberg didn't love his own movie, but I'm giving him the MVP. Uh, I think, hey, it made 50 million bucks, had a lot of brightness. Hey, he committed to a children's tale while like trying to appeal to a worldwide audience. Peter Pan growing up, having Hook be neurotic, adding in all these extra characters, having Tinkerbell be... Uh, uh, unrequited love interest on top of uh, if you guys heard this i don't know if you heard this there's a a moment when smee is saying that he's got dental records and he has like oh, i know that this is peter pan i've got mm. all these records remember that when he's saying that to hook he also says he has a signed affidavit from no, a T bell did you hear that part i'm not above the idea that tinkerbell who's missed her best friend for so long wasn't complicit in the kidnapping of the kids to get Peter back. Believe it. This is a complex character beyond what we've talked about at all. But I'm not like willing to die on that hill. It just came to my head. She's she's got stuff going on. But hey, all I'm really trying to say is MVP for Steven Spielberg here. I have a weird answer to this because I really wanted to just put Robin Williams and leave it at that, but it's more like the spirit of Robin Williams that I liked in this movie, the way that, you know, you see something like Mrs. Dallier, and he nails it. You see his other trails of of, of different things. Here he has to basically portray a, a, a an adult trying to be a child again. Um, I agree with that aspect of Robin Williams in the movie, but I'll go into a little bit deeper of what's not Robin Williams in his entirety that I give MVP to. Uh, next up is Best Supporting. Mark, Dustin, who's your Best Supporting? I'm not, I'm not going to Dante here. I'm going to okay. Caroline Goodall as Mora. Uh, I, I, I th I, she doesn't have a lot of screen time. 
And I've already said, like, most of the cast should get their regards. Uh, it was a small part to give best supporting to. Um, but, like, she she deals with, like, she, you know, a mother that lost her kids. You know, she mm-hmm. ugly cries for real at the end. Um, and her speech to Robin Williams' character was really, really good and meaningful. I am the only one of our roundtable hosts who doesn't have children. And it was meaningful to me. And I feel like that's one of those things where it's like, that's... This is a really important situation that Peter Banning is in. It's not just about the hook story. The hook story is saving his entire life. Right. The stuff that really matters. So, uh, yeah, I'm going Caroline Goodall here. Excellent. All right. Um, I went with Dustin Hoffman on mine. I think that he is an ex-Captain Hook villain here. Um, I just think that his execution of the part was, was very, very good. And like Dustin, like what you mentioned earlier, like that whole port where he's, you know, basically kill himself. It's just very well acted. And I really appreciated the, the subtleties of his character. Um, how about a hidden gem? I have to, I have a mail in hidden gem first, which is that Lizzie told me that one of us had to mention on the show that Glenn Close was the pirate who gets put in the boo box. So Oh. If you didn't know that one, now you do. Okay. Did did either did either of you two know I that? that? Yeah, Glenn, Glenn Close, Close, a little right. cameo. Well, well, that's that's Lizzie's okay. hidden gem though. Mine is when they're in the room where they're smashing up the clocks. Captain Hook is telling Jack a line, which is that this clock right here that I'm holding belonged to Barbecue. And I smashed this clock right after I killed him or like ran him through. Barbecue is a nickname for Long John Silver. So the stories of the like from long ago often shared these kind of like this would be like the literary MCU, the LCU, where these literary characters interacted with one another kind of through like imagination and so the idea is Hook is as good enough of a pirate to kill Long John Silver. I thought that was yeah, a neat hidden gem. That was cool. Um, I did uh, Gwyneth Powder here just because I truly did figure out it was her on this last watch for the podcast. And I was like, ooh. And I've used every opportunity possible to make fun of the skiing act that she had to be in court for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was like the twitter news on the day i rewatched it it's it's, (laughs) i shouldn't be amusing to me but it is but yeah i literally in my notes gwyneth paltrow pre-ski accident mark if you want to hang with uh with dustin hahn as the uh the pilot yeah i think i'm gonna rock with the pilot sorry dustin who did you recast in this film well, uh, this does fall in the category of I don't think I would, but I must. Uh, I'll at least mention that they had the idea of putting Michael Jackson uh, as a Peter Pan. Uh, Glad they didn't. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. All of our reactions are, I think, our audience's oh, reactions. We don't want oh, Peter God. Pan involved. <laughs> we don't want Michael no, Jackson no, no. involved here. So I went with something crazier. Bob Hoskins did an awesome Smee, and I'd never change him. But if I had to, what if Eddie Murphy was Smee? Okay. I think it'd be really, really fun. I've got a very controversial on this, and it ties back to my spirit of Robin Hood's piece. But, Mark, who who would you recast before I jump into that? Man, again, this is a because I have to, not that I would. You know, for me, especially as a kid, uh, Toodles, for some reason, like, I just didn't have a good 
vibe of that character. Like I, you just see, and I get it. He lost his marbles. Right. But I guess maybe as a kid, I just didn't get that joke. I don't know. Like he just seemed like off. I don't know. And like, I don't know that actor, but maybe somebody that was funnier. Cause I feel like if, you could make that I lost my marbles joke funnier than it sure. actually was, I guess. I don't know. So, I don't think that I could pick a better actor out there that could do the tenor of what Peter Pan was supposed to be in this film. But I always just had this slight issue with the image of Robin Williams as Peter Pan. And I don't really have a good like reason for it it's like there, there's too much of a gap between rufio and robin williams and i think if they had made it maybe one slightly younger and a little bit more cool looking i think that that it would make that gap a little bit more approachable and again not taking anything away from who robin williams is who is perfect for this film but I was thinking that if, if, if you're able to replicate what Robin Williams brings to an adult trying to be a child again, learning to be a child again, but you put it in like Ron Livingston's body at the time, you know, this is oh. pre-office space. So, you know, just, yeah, so yeah. just a little, you got that little bit of cynicalness, but he's still kind of edgy, still kind of cool. I think it brings the age gap a little bit better, uh, much the same way that you have the the youth to the Rio to the adults. Like I think someone yeah. who can still be funny with that sort of like childhood heart kind of presence that Robin Williams had may have made that transition a little bit smoother for me. You know, what works with Ron Livingston too, is mm-hmm. that he's old enough to, you, you need the time right. for Peter Pan to forget. Right. Yeah. So he yeah. can't be yeah, too Yeah, it wasn't like so in that, a reach for like River Phoenix or something where it's basically the same age as Rufio. But but yeah, it needs to be someone <laughs> old enough to... God, the world sucks. Because I feel like I learned the world sucks like pretty heavily between the age of like 20 and 25. So if you'd gotten someone in the ballpark of say like 30 to 35, I think that, you know, maybe, you know, we've been a sweeter spot. Best shot, Dustin. Rufio realizing that his reign is at an end. And that Peter really is the pan. And it's shot through Peter Pan's legs. Like you see the tights and you see him standing in that sort of heroic way. And then, uh, you know, he's he, he's kneeling down. He's kind of dejected. It's not like he doesn't like him any. It's, it's just sort of like, <clears throat> I, my time is over. Uh, and then you see, as part of that same shot, uh, Robin Williams takes the sword and draws the line in the sand, which unless you know Westerns, there's probably a whole generation of people who don't even know what that means. We knew what it meant, but there's, drawing a line in the sand is like a special thing. And so uh, I, th- I thought it was a really cool shot. There's so many to choose from, but I liked that one. Best shot, Mark. This is probably because I'm a recent father, but when the youngest lost boy is like, messing yeah. with peter's face there you That's are. he's like he's like oh it is you so i as you guys can see typically wear a beard or have a beard whatever you're supposed to say that however you're supposed to say that and uh as a little early april fool's joke to my 11 month old i shaved and <laughs> didn't tell her or or my wife <laughs> for that fact and like 
She what? Like, looked at me all kind of like, who are you? Like, what? And then I started talking and she like started touching my face. And she That's was, funny. Oh, it is you. Okay. Wow. So for that moment to like then have this rewatch and this uh, podcast was awesome. Yeah, it was kind of perfect. So for me, that, that hits home. <laughs> that's a special one. Yeah, that's Pockets is that kid's name. Pockets. That's right. Yes. I, uh, I, I went with the, uh, the intricacy detail of Peter Pan cutting his, uh, his silhouette out of a pirate sail in this one. I like that. That's cool. Yeah, I, uh, I I liked it back then. Still like it. It's still fun. Uh, yeah. What's your what's your best scene, Dustin? It is the pirate baseball scene. Mm. Uh, it, it's, it's too fun. It's so grand in scale. Uh, Hook is funny in it. He's got his like uh, prostitute there. Give me my bubbly. I need my bubbly. <laughs> Smee is funny in it. And we really get a turning point in the focus of Peter's character. Like, he's starting to realize, like, wow, I've missed out on all this. And it's also showing us that, like, the, the brainwashing the is kind of work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. That, God, that's where his eyes should I be. I know, and I could just go to the baseball games with my prostitute. Gosh, this would have been so much easier. Yeah, man. So I was born in the wrong decade. <laughs> Champagne and prostitutes. That's what Little League Champagne was all about. prostitutes and baseball. It'd take me to Neverland, brother. <laughs> <laughs> the way she like twisted it too, I was like, "Okay, get it." <laughs> she like moans. That's not. That's, it, she really does, which means it was a choice to keep it in. That's why oh, uh, it's like. It's, oh yeah. That's oh god, such confidence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm doing my uh, best but, not to not to but, reenact the moan on the mic because right. this is going to live on the internet forever. Right. Uh, Mark, what's your best name? <laughs> Man, for me, it's uh, I would say probably when uh, when when Peter Pan like finally learns how to fly and he like lifts off in the air. For me, as a kid, that was like holy crap, that's sick, you know. So I I, I would take that scene. So I my mine is a of more macro of Dustin's. Um, it's basically everything leading up to the you can fly, you can fight, you can crow. Uh, moment but yeah i i think that the the panic uh realization and real emotion on rufio's face uh during that entire sequence uh is is really good i mean it's, it was really like emotionally stirring acting for me and even even though you know it, say on a rewatch is probably maybe a little bit done i i think it was still as impactful as it was or as it was when i was a kid i'm glad you mentioned sort of like the overall like sort of realization from him because what i had remembered writing down in my notes a couple of days ago was yeah uh, like that defeat where he's not in charge anymore is a lesson mm -hmm. in a world where lessons aren't really doled out lessons are for the real world we don't have to grow up in Neverland. So he had a moment where he kind of had to grow up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's what killed him. She's <laughs> <laughs> growing up, bud. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's wardrobe or makeup moment, Dustin. It's Captain Hook's entire ensemble. It's yeah. killer. Uh, it, it, we already mentioned how it kind of it kind of looks like the movie stuff too. Right. Uh, the red coat over the black coat, the big black curly hair that's a wig. Uh, the makeup that he wears, his mustache, his shoes, they're all exactly the same shoes that I think they put in the, the cabinet. It, it's all great. 
No, among uh, in a movie that's filled with great costumes is right. Mark. For me, it's the Lost Boys, man. Um, I you know how do you dress kids, <laughs> make them look cool, not have parents. But not make them look homeless, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, and uh, they did a great job, in my opinion. I, I, uh, I'm with Rufio because he's so cool. I mean, <laughs> so cool. Oh man! Uh, one thing, Dustin. Uh, I mentioned that there's a scene on the cutting room floor where young Maggie kind of becomes a den mother, a pseudo Wendy, mm. um, and I think that this movie. Whether it's borrowed from the original story from J.M. Barry, or whether it's the new stuff, um, it's already lore heavy. So if you were gonna, in a meta way, like wrap it up to where like check it out, this, this Maggie is kind of follow. She's the great grandchild of the original Wendy. If they could fit that in somehow, I would have taken ditching the song. And the song is sweet and it's good. And it got an award nomination. But if you could give me some way that like she is. Being a positive force among the pirates somehow, I think that would have been cool. Um, but very little I would change about this movie. Right on. Mark, change one thing. More mermaids. <laughs> yeah. And and the Indians. I mean, they, they really missed out on that. You know, and I get it. You have to, you can't, it's already a long movie. But, um, you know, those are such cool characters. And I mean, they already had amazing costumes with everybody else. I'm sure that would have just been gotcha. awesome as well. Um, my change one thing is going to be Tinkerbell. I'm so on board with her being party to the capping to get Peter back. What I'm not mm-hmm. super on board with was the, look, I'm an adult too, and we can be together. Um, yeah. It would have made more sense for her to be either younger as a fairy or more in it for the camaraderie and friendship that missed than making it weird and having it be uh, an adult relationship. Um, yeah. That, that was probably a, one, yeah. one of my, that's like probably that. one of my biggest hangups watching it as an adult. I, I don't think that registered at all for me when I watched this as a child. You could really call it a flaw because I've said it several times on the show. It's harder to do meaningful friendship than it is to do meaningful uh, romantic love. Sure. Romantic love is easier for audiences. To do a meaningful friendship that's just friendship is hard. And so especially if you've got Julia Roberts, how do you not? Mm-hmm. Make it uh, and about, so I feel like, yeah. the, like it's kind of like a, yeah, they kind of crossed it there. Yeah. All right. Best quote, Dustin. There's a lot of great ones. There are. Uh, So I'll go with the one that comes to my mind first each time, which is, is it you, my great and worthy opponent? But it can't be. Not this pitiful, spineless, pasty, bloated codfish I see before me. You're not even a shadow of Peter Pan. The quote is good. And Hook needs his nemesis. Mm. It's another like psychological thing that this movie shows you. He absolutely needs his great war. He says it. I want my war, and uh, he's literally mm-hmm. devastated that this isn't you. I don't. This is, this is not my opponent. I don't. I don't know why this this came to mind. But as soon as as soon as you said that, the first thing that came to my mind was from uh, 
from the postman when he says, Patton had Rommel, Grant had Lee, and I get you. And I get you. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Mark, <clears throat> best quote. <laughs> mine, mine's a lot easier. Look, uh, look, you know, yeah, I, got I, I, I gotta admit, that's mine too. I, I put that, like, I had that in my notes before I rewatched the movie. It's probably the thing I've quoted the most from this movie, even having not seen it for so long. It's a look at the I got hooky. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Yep. All right. So, um, Mark, thank you for joining us this evening. We're going to do one more roundup here for our overall rating using uh, half star increments from zero to five stars. What do you rate, Hook? Mark? Got to give it a four and a half. Four and a half. All right. Dustin, where are you ranking Hook? I alluded to this earlier in the show. I'm giving it a 4.5. Same as Mark. This is a favorite movie of mine. It's top 10 all time. And I think it deserves better than the critical history that surrounds it from Spielberg and from the critics. Um, but I noticed the flaws this time. And this is probably the first time I've ever come into one of our shows having a favorite movie that I think I would have, have been so comfortable giving a five and saying, I can't. It's a 4.5. And if I was really being honest and unbiased, it's probably I'd go as low as 3.5 for some of the things that I noticed. But when you've got 30 watches of it under my belt, it gets the favorable nod toward the high end. I'm going to give it four and a half. It's still very special. And I do oh. recommend it. Oh, absolutely. And I'll, as soon as, you know, my daughter's a little bit older and, and hopefully still in her Tinkerbell phases, she'll, she'll get to watch it as well. I gave it a solid four. And uh, this, this movie's great. It was a, a huge part of my child, and I definitely recommend it for anybody. Uh, Dustin, are you uh, ready to help me uh, pick a movie for next time? Yeah, in fact, I've got three options for you here, and all from the mockumentary scene. Option okay. one, this is Spinal Tap from 1984. Spinal Tap, one of England's loudest bands, is chronicled by film director Marty DeBerge on what proves to be a fateful tour. Option two, from 1996, Waiting for Guffman, an aspiring director and the marginally talented amateur cast of a hokey small town Missouri musical production go overboard when they learn that someone from Broadway will be in attendance. Or option three, Best in Show from 2000, which is a behind-the-scenes look into the highly competitive and cutthroat world of dog shows through the eyes of a group of ruthless dog owners. Which one are we going to go with? I think I would go with 1996's Waiting for Guffman. That's the one I'm least familiar with. All right. Always good to do it then. Yeah, I'm excited. All right. Well, thank you again, Mark, for join us, joining us. Yeah, and thanks, th- Mark. Thank you to all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Table. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, or review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, or where you get your podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, it's mostly audio. Uh, give us a like on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter at V underscore Retro. Email us at RetroMovieRetroTable at Yahoo.com. Producing and promoting this podcast is fun but not free. We invite you to support the show on our Patreon page. It's www.patreon.com slash RetroMovieRoundTable forward slash. Any, contr- any contribution is much appreciated and will go toward making the show better for you, the listener. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Dustin?
Are they made from real Girl Scouts?